Hey, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Today's episode, like every episode of the show, is brought to you by Audible. You can go to audibletrial.com slash Aaron to get a free month and free audiobook on the house. We'll help you read more this year and get smarter. So check that out. Also check out today's interview. I spoke with Alex Chua, a chess master who achieved that title at the age of 15. We talked about the training that went into it, got a little bit more clarity on what the title actually represents, and then moved into a conversation about the partnerships that are possible between computers and humans in this age of artificial intelligence. He wraps things up with a couple book recommendations and a great challenge for the audience that I hope you'll take. Here is my conversation with Alex Chua. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. All right, so Alex, welcome to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I'm excited to be speaking with you today. Thank you, Aaron. I'm glad to be on the show. So we we both share a small amount of uh, similar interests. Uh, you've played a lot of chess in your day. I've played a little bit and took some chess lessons back in my youth, but I was never ranked. Uh, no one ever, you know, never competed in any sort of high level competition. So you've definitely got me beat. Uh, but wh- where I wanted to start with for the audience was to tell us a little bit more about uh, becoming a chess master at age 15. What goes into that? What type of training and preparation and commitment is involved in such uh, such a title, such an accomplishment? Sure. You know, I started chess at nine or 10 years old, and I just really had an interest in it. Becoming a chess master relatively young is, is an accomplishment. It makes you one of the better players, uh, but the world champion level players nowadays can become grandmasters at 13, or a, Bobby Fischer was a grandmaster at 15. So it was, it was definitely an accomplishment, but nowhere near uh, world-class, and I'm still very proud of it. The way I developed in my chess career, I learned to play in elementary school, but really didn't take it too serious until about fifth grade. Uh, that's when I was there, nine or ten, I started playing in tournaments, and I really kind of got addicted. It, was, it really became something I enjoyed, and I enjoyed playing, and it's one of the few things that you can play against anybody. You know, young people can play old people. You can play someone from another country. It has such a rich history and just really fascinated me. And I probably had a little bit of an aptitude toward it. Uh, Pattern recognition really helps someone be good, at least initially. Uh, So what I did is I I played at my local chess club. And then I started playing in tournaments. And I'm from Dallas. Dallas has one of the best chess clubs in the nation, the, the Dallas Chess Club. I was very lucky uh, to, to live in Dallas, honestly, with, without that little roll of luck, I probably wouldn't have gone nearly as far. I read, I started reading books, taking lessons, and really kind of being critical on myself, you know, getting feedback and wanting to improve and being willing to change. I read lots of puzzle books, opening books, pretty much anything I can get my hands on. I was a little bit before computers became real widely used in chess. My age was kind of right on the threshold, so in the old days, they used to have these books they called Chess Informants, and it would have all the recent games, and they would be several hundred pages thick, and professionals and people who were trying to get better, who were you know pretty high level already, um, just below master generally, would be looking at it and trying 
to you know look at all the latest games and refresh their openings and hone their skills. Nowadays, everything's on the computer. So a lot of, in a lot of ways, I think of chess kind of like in an old-fashioned way. And and after I became a chess master, I really started using computers and kind of took my game to to another level. Uh, but definitely, you know, it was a combination of all these factors. No, no one factor was, I would say, alone could account for my ability and uh, making a chess master at, at a young age. So you've used two terms, the, the mass chess master and then a grandmaster. And, and for the folks who might not be familiar with the hierarchy of chess, uh, maybe they're familiar with you know, different belts of karate or some other similar kind of hierarchical structure. Can you just explain a little bit about what, like how one becomes a, what, what qualifications there are for a chess master versus a grandmaster and how those get achieved? Sure. Uh, so I might kind of geek out a little bit here. There's, you know, if you have a standard normal curve, meaning just, you know, normal distribution, the average chess rating is about 1600, 15 or 1600. And every hundred points is a standard deviation. So this is saying, of the people who play tournament chess, so that's already a little bit better than normal, the average tournament player is rated 15 or 1,600. And every 100 rating points is a standard deviation. Now, uh, you're rated on every game you play in a tournament based on the, how you do, so win, lose, or draw, and based on the strength of your opposition. So if you beat someone really high rated, you gain a lot of points. You lose to someone really low rated, you lose a lot of points. So every game is rated, and there's a U.S. rating, and there's uh, international rating, which is known as FIDE, FIDE rating. That's Federation International de Eches, the International Chess Association. And in, U- in the U.S., we have the U.S. Chess Federation. So a chess master is someone whose rating reaches 2,200, and that's USCF, United States Chess Federation. And a grandmaster is someone who makes 2,500 FIDE, that's the international one, and also fulfills several other requirements. And the, the ratings are pretty close. So 2200 USCF is close to 2200 FIDE. There's some differences. They don't match exactly, but they're relatively close. Now, I also, so, a, so meaning they're relatively close, meaning a grandmaster is about 300 points stronger than a, a chess master in the U.S. That's 2200. Now, my current chess rating is in the U.S. is closer to 2,400, uh, and my FIDE rating is 2,300. And that, that's what I mean. There's some difference. Some people are a little bit behind one rating versus another, but they're relatively close. And at 2,300 FIDE, they call that a FIDE master. 2,400 and you know, some other additional requirements, what they call norms, you would be international master, and 2,500 FIDE would be grandmaster with the required norms. Gotcha. That's that's very clarifying for people. Thank you. One of the things you mentioned in the earlier answer is that you started using and working with computers. And in, in a multitude of different areas, the buzzword of artificial intelligence just continues to pick up steam and uh, you know be on the tips of so many people's tongues. And in a previous guest interview with Kevin Kelly, episode 118, we discussed that the future and the phenomenon of artificial intelligence really becoming almost like a business partner or a co-worker or a colleague uh, in the future. And more and more people, you know, 
talented workers are going to be required or will uh, excel if they're able to work hand in hand with an artificial intelligence to get a job done. Chess is an arena where this has been uh, embraced very early on, Uh, maybe not smoothly, but there's, you know, we've had the uh, phenomenon of the computer beating a grandmaster. uh, And now there are leagues which are dedicated to computer human teams that will compete against one another, which is different than maybe just humans competing against humans and vice versa. So can you talk a little bit about this phenomenon in chess, your experience with it, uh, and how computers have contributed to your performance on the chessboard? Yeah, the, the role of and the relationship between chess and computers is a pretty rich one. So, you know, a little bit of, again, I'll kind of geek out on you maybe, a little bit of history is that computers, teaching computers to play chess was a major challenge. Initially, when, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, was a huge challenge. And it presented a really good one for computers because, you know, there's very clear rules, there's clear goals, and chess has, you know, near infinite number of possibilities, at least for the human mind. I think the only game that has any more possibilities than chess is is go. So computers really developed using chess in order to see, you know, how do we analyze all these different positions? How do we transpose these infinite number of combinations in certain you know creating different branches and really growing with computing power. You know, once computing power became, you know, instead of looking at hundreds of positions a second or thousands, it grew into millions of positions a second. So as this computing power increased, Computers were able to handle chess much better, and nowadays they're stronger than than people by far, and there are very few man-versus-computer matches as a result. For instance, I can download an app on my phone, and it's stronger than any grandmaster in terms of um, how it plays. Also, you know, if you... A lot of times when they do the man-versus-computer matches, they kind of weaken the computers and don't give them access to opening books or all games, you know, they kind of weaken it a little bit because a computer could look up instantly and look through a history of millions of games of chess and see which moves scored the best, right? Which moves worked well, uh, you know, 60% of the time versus 40% of the time resulting in wins and be able to sort through the best lines in history and, you know, which players did really well and could do all sorts of different types of probabilistic thinking and reference whereas a human has to rely on, you know, kind of weak human memory compared to a computer. Uh, Now, the way that I use chess and computers nowadays is that I have software that has a database of all the games that have been played that are in the database, and new games come in that I update. You know, every couple months I get the newest games, and I'm able to play through them instantly. You know, referencing back to the old days when I mentioned those informants, that's what people did in those informants. They got the games... It would be months later, and they would look at them. I can download it instantly from the internet. And so the speed at which chess has progressed in terms of theory has accelerated dramatically. Used to be, you know, not for me, but, uh, you know, the world champions of the 60s and 70s, they could think of a new idea, a new opening, uh, a new concept, and they could use that concept for months before anyone else found out about it, right? Only their opponent would know, not the rest of the world. Nowadays, I sit at my computer and I say, oh, you know, the world champion played this in London, and there's a tournament going on today in Gibraltar, and 
my favorite player played this and it didn't work. And I learned instantly kind of from what's going on all around the world by looking at games. And additionally, I can use my computer to do analysis. Like I said, the computers are stronger than any human player. So, you know, the, the world champion Magnus Carlsen has a, has a rating of about 2850 or so, which is tremendous. But the software I have on my computer plays at, you know, 3000, 3100 sort of rating, then I can go to my computer and it can give me moves that are better than the world champion would give me. Now, I might not explain it the same way he does, but I can use the fact that I know what the best moves are and kind of use my own reasoning and kind of grow in that way. So what I started doing once I transitioned, one thing in chess, you always look at your, your games. And I would always look at them after I played with a coach and I would take out my notation sheet that you write down all your moves on. And I'd play through each move, and I'd think, okay, what could I have done better? What do other players do? Uh, and, and really kind of, okay, here's where I messed up. Here's where my opponent messed up. Here's where we both messed up and learned from it. But it would take kind of more time maybe to analyze it now. Nowadays, I can put it in my computer. It's saved forever. I can look at what people all around the world for all of history have kind of played. Uh, you know, because they have millions of games in, in the chess database, and of course, there's games that don't make it in the database, but there's so many that it's such a rich uh, area to get information. And I can, you know, see where I messed up at a level beyond what was ever, ever possible before. So it used to be without computers, you know, you know, you would you would say, okay, well, that probably looks better. You know, you were never certain. Now I'm a hundred percent certain. Says the computer says this is better. This is better. And it has made me a stronger player, and it's really changed the game at a really high level in that they rely heavily on computer analysis, and some players almost just memorize computer analysis to try to improve their game. And I think as a result, uh, you know, kids tend to be a little better at that sort of thing, uh, memorizing, working with computers, and as a result, chess players at the very top have gotten younger and younger. That's really insightful, Alex. Um, I, one of the things that was just oozing through that answer is the nature of this kind of democratization of information and how you were saying, you know, in the past you could have a, a move or a, a strategy that you could employ for months without anyone really being able to exploit it or understand it or study it. And I've seen the same thing in Ultimate Frisbee, actually, where, you know, the top teams now are getting filmed at a much higher rate uh, than, you know, a decade ago. And many, many more players can learn through video analysis to un understand the strategies that are being employed, study the techniques of specific players. And that's really going across the board. And I think it speaks to a larger trend of the really intense depth of study, practice, um, and dedication that is required of folks to reach the highest levels of whatever field they're trying to compete in, be it chess, be it ultimate frisbee, be it the world of business. Um, the, the stakes are getting higher and the competition is improving day by day. So I think that that is important realization for a lot of people and sounds like one that you have made. Um, I'm curious how the lessons of chess have translated into your professional life. Um, you are, you have a CPA, you have an MBA, you've worked in fields like finance and energy. Um, and I'm curious uh, what skills, you mentioned pattern recognition, uh, but what skills among others have you found to be most salient 
in your professional life that you've taken from the world of chess? Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot from chess and I continue to learn from it even, even today, even after playing you know, tens of thousands of games and, and, and in different ways. I think at a, at a very basic level, you learn you know, how to handle setbacks. You know, chess, in a lot of ways, it can be like a roller coaster. You, know, you could start a game and you feel like, oh, I'm feeling good. You know, emotional roller coaster, I'm feeling good, I think I'm going to win this, or I'm going to win this tournament, I'm going to win rating points. And then you, you also have really tough, you know, setbacks, losses, and you say, oh, man, I can't believe I lost, and, you know, I, I can't believe that I took such a winning position and I messed it up, you know. So you learn how to handle losses, how to be a good sport. You learn to, to think ahead, to take responsibility, because chess is, a, is one of the – you know, a few games that I think are just pure skill. You know, there's a very small amount of, of luck in chess, and I think that's why it's it survived. It has, you know, chess, you know, was invented in, in India about 1,500 years ago. And it, it is, you know, I can't think of many other games that have survived till today. You know, just the richness of possibilities and and, and how you can... You, you know, it's it's part art and part sport. So you learn to appreciate the art side of it, and the better you get, the more you can appreciate that art. Like you know, I've I've gone to the the symphony here. I live in Houston, and I enjoy it. But I imagine someone who has a background in uh, classical music probably enjoys it at another level. And it's kind of like that with chess. And and you also enjoy like the competition, the skill, and you learn to think. You know, tactically and strategically, you learn about patience. You know, a lot of times, you know, the situation on the chessboard can change dramatically. Each phase of the game, what's, what's really interesting is that, you know, you basically have three phases of the game, opening, middle game, end game, and they're related, but the principles, you know, the, the general ideas are dramatically different. You know, the opening is about, you know, here, I guess some chess tips for anybody who's, who's uh, interested in improving their game. The opening is all about speed you know you're trying to control the center develop your pieces and castle your king as quickly as possible and you're positioning yourself for a successful middle game in the middle game the middle game is just a battle you know it's lots of things can happen you have to kind of adapt you can't see too far ahead because uh, you know some people think that chess masters always see 10 moves or 20 moves ahead in reality chess masters you know, generally probably think two or three moves ahead. In a really simple position, you could think many moves ahead. In a really complicated position, you're only thinking two or three. And then, you know, if you get to an end game, assuming neither side has, has, has lost or has a big disadvantage, you have a, an end game. And end games are more about patience and pawns and your king, which in the very in the opening you don't want to bring out. In the end game, the king is a very strong piece. So all of a sudden the situation changes really dramatically. I think that translates into life is that you learn that situations shift and you learn how you need to adapt and you want to maximize your chances of success, you know, because you can't see everything. There's a lot of uncertainty in a chess game. I don't know what my opponent's going to do from the very beginning. I have some ideas, but you, you try to maximize your chances in chess and you try to maximize that in life. And going back to kind of career and, and, and accomplishment, you know, when I was in school thinking about what I wanted to study, you think, okay, well, what fields and what schools are going to maximize my chance of you know, having the life I want and the career that I want and the security that I want? 
And what's the, you know, then once you have kind of those goals and uh, thinking, trying to maximize your chances, you say, okay, what do I need to do to maximize those chances? So whether that's like getting good grades, doing extracurriculars, uh, you know, looking for companies and doing interviews and practicing, uh, that, that all kind of kind of relates to chess. And the, the CPA, I feel like, you know, gave me a chance. I wanted to learn about business. You know, accounting is the language of business, and the CPA was a great way to learn about business and also to kind of push my career up another level. You know, no matter what happens, I'll always have my CPA, and I can always do something associated with that. And after working for about three years, I decided to get my MBA. Uh, you know, I wanted to work more in finance and, you know, I think, okay, well, how can I, you know, again, maximize my chances of having the life and the career that I want. And uh, I live here in Houston and, and Rice University is a very good university. And I thought about the life I want and how can I fit everything in and, and doing the MBA was, it was the right time. I saw other people doing it with, with kids and stuff. And I felt like, okay, well, if I'm, and I did the professional MBA. So I was uh, working full time and then doing my MBA in weeknights and weekends. And I thought, you know, if, I, if I'm going to do this, now is a good time. I don't live too far from Rice. I don't have that family commitment that, you know, I really, when I have kids, I want to make sure I'm, I'm spending time with them. And again, maximizing my probabilities for the, the type of life and, and goals that I want and, and the work. And uh, I graduated in May and uh, started a new job. And uh, so far, it, I'm pretty happy with my decision making and, you know, you know, relating it back to chess. You know, maybe I'm in the opening you know, years of my life, and I'm just preparing myself for, you know, hopefully a good middle game and end game. Yeah, absolutely. I love that as a metaphor for life, and um, definitely seems like you are preparing for battle, so to speak. Yeah, chess, chess has a lot of battle. Uh, you know, there, there is a competitive instinct to it, and I think, you know, another thing with chess is you learn that, you know, there there is some competition, and uh, you want to do what you can to, to make sure that you can succeed. Absolutely. Uh, well, this has been been great. I think that I'm already feeling inspired to maybe re-download the, uh, the chess uh, app on my phone. But before we kind of wrap things up here, Alex, and issue personal challenge and tell people where to connect with you, I know that you are a pretty avid reader and uh, have, a, have a few recommendations on your site. But I, I wanted to ask you a question if you could prescribe a book to be read by all of the undergraduates that are graduating from business school, you could, you know, wave a magic wand and they have to uh, read it and they'll, they'll understand it and digest it. Uh, is there a book that comes to mind or what, what book would you prescribe? That's a tough question. You know, I immediately think of like, you know, five books. The one book for career... I would say it would be so good they can't ignore you. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's Cal Newport. He does a really good job yeah. explaining careers and developing your your skill sets and doing stuff that's uh, you know learning the known and, and moving into that frontier of, of new and rare and valuable skills and making little bets. And I, I think that's a very good you know if I only could read one book. That, that would be the one I'd recommend to everybody. Uh, another, you know, kind of cheating a little bit. Another book I would just generally recommend is, is uh, Super Forecasting. That one does a really good job explaining, you know, how to make plans and the uncertainty in plans and 
you know, kind of how the human brain works in a lot of ways as well. And then that was a great read that I, that I read in this last year. Yeah, I've been getting that as a recommendation a lot recently. So I think that's moving up the list in terms of uh, books I'll be reading in the, in the near horizon. Um, but th- this has been great, Alex. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And uh, I want to make sure that people can connect with you in the digital world. So can you offer us some digital coordinates where people can learn more about you? Yeah, I, you know, I've kind of inspired by, by you a bit. I know my online presence isn't, isn't great. I'm just starting to think about, you know, kind of sharing again, you know, from t- earlier conversation, you I've been pretty busy with school and work, uh, but you can find me at uh, Alex Chua blog at blogspot alexchuablog.blogspot.com and on Medium. Also on uh, chess.com, I'm Hilama, H-I-G-H-L-A-M-A. And I plan on just posting more stuff about chess and life and maybe some technical uh, chess stuff for, for the people who, who want to learn more about, about chess and improvement and, and maybe some you know, different things that interest me and how I can tie that current events and different things back to chess. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be sure to link to that. And I'm excited to see uh, how things develop and how that uh, identity grows for you in the digital world. Uh, But as we do at the end of every episode, Alex, I want to give you the mic one final time to issue a personal challenge to the audience. Okay, so my personal challenge, it relates to you know, you know, we kind of mentioned planning for your for life and maximizing probability. And one thing I think that is important is to be involved in the world. You know, you can just put your head in a book and, and never pay attention to what's going on. So my personal challenge is you know, this week, make a list of five causes that you feel are most important uh, to society. Then, once you've got five, cross out a cause you feel least passionate about. And keep crossing out until you just have one or two remaining. And then I want you to research existing local and national organizations that work on your cause, and I want you to join. You know, so that could be any issue that matters to you. I think that's a great way to get involved in the world. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And I think that that connection aspect of finding other people who are like-minded, who share that mission and those values with you is such an important part of that. Um, I I love the, the focusing aspect of whittling away and cutting out what what isn't really inspirational but finding you know the rest of the tribe and finding the other people that are going to be able to go to battle with you over the long term i think is really really important component of that uh great challenge alex thank you yeah and if i if i can add one thing i i followed this advice and i recently joined a board i'm on board of the citizens environmental coalition here in houston uh, it's a nonprofit focused on environmental issues and education and communication here in Houston. So if you're in Houston, check them out, uh, cchouston.org. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, but Alex, I want to thank you so much for coming on, going deep with Aaron Watson and sharing your wisdom with us today. Uh, and thank you, Aaron. I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak to you. We just went deep with Alex Chua. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please make sure you hit subscribe if you've not already done so. Check out some of our previous episodes, including episode 184 with The Drinking Partners and 183 with Oliver Luckett. Both very popular episodes had a lot of great feedback related to those. Also, get excited for our forthcoming interview with young entrepreneur and best-selling author Felix Hartman. That'll be episode 195 coming at you in the next few weeks. That and much, much more on future episodes of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.